0: Good morning. It's good to be here with you and looking at God's word together. As you'll see in the, your order of worship, uh, we're going to continue looking at the Beatitudes this, this fall. Our sermon series is to look at uh, this group of sayings of Jesus called the Beatitudes from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the Beatitudes are called that because of the formula of the sayings that Jesus offers, each of them starting with a blessing Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or, as we'll see this morning, the third one saying, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." So, I, what I've been hoping that we can see, and for us to reflect on this this fall, is that these blessings are a way of being, a way of walking that Jesus has set for, for us. And It's an opportunity for us to examine our hearts and our lives, and the way in which we are walking, what what we think will bring life. And so as a way for us to examine ourselves, it's often best to have a contrast, So we've been contrasting the Beatitudes with the traditional list of vices, one by one, looking at these things together. We looked at pride and poor in spirit. Last week we looked at mourning and envy, and this morning we will look at a contrast between meekness and what's called vainglory, vainglory. And the hope is, as we look at these things, we'll see different ways in which to construct our life, and which way we think life will come to us. And so let's look at our passage. We're going to look at Matthew and hear the Beatitudes spoken by Jesus. Then we'll look at a passage from Philippians 2 that helped bring to life for us this image of meekness, especially in contrast to vainglory. It's in your order of worship. You can follow there, or you can listen, simply listen as I read. Excuse me, so first from Matthew 2 and, sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 2 and 5. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now from Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as people needing to hear from your word. We need you to speak to us, that we can better see ourselves and better know who we are, that we can also better know you in the way that you've called us to live as your people. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work here in us, doing what only you can do, awakening us, awakening our hearts and moving us in repentance and faith to take hold of the path that you set before us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, we'll have these two passages. So first, we'll look at the gospel passage and compare meekness and vainglory. So that'll be the first part of the sermon. The second part, we'll look at the Philippians 2 passage and see these ways of being in action. So we'll have two parts, and the first one will be the Matthew 5. In Matthew, this section opens with Jesus seeing the crowd going up on a mountain and sitting down, calling the people to him, and he opens his mouth and taught them. The things that he starts saying are blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A part of the intention of Jesus' teaching is to set forth a way, but also to kind of capture our attention, to help us feel the, the disconnection. Right? Shouldn't we ask, how can the meek inherit the earth? Aren't the dynamics of the world such that victory And possession and glory goes to those who are bold. The most aggressive. The ones who know how to push their agenda. We know this in our daily life. We know this in the news. We see these things around us. Isn't this how the world works? So Jesus is inviting us to, to look anew. To think again. And we can start by even asking, what is meekness? What is meekness? It's not a word that we use All the time. First, we need to say that meekness is not weakness. It's a nice rhyme, but it's it's not weakness. It's not being a coward, not being timid or passive. Rather, meekness in the biblical sense is using your gifts, your position, your power, however great or small, to serve others. It is the practice of restraint. Affirming that others do not exist for me or my agenda what I think should happen. Therefore, meekness is expressed in gentleness. The, the Scriptures link those things together. Those who are meek are known as those who are gentle, willing to give up my rights to see and consider another person. I seek to use my power not to run over you, or to use you, but to serve. This is what meekness is set before us in the Scriptures. And So we can ask, what about vainglory? What is this contrast of vainglory? And maybe as a a way to start, I want to mention a a cartoon I saw the other day. It was titled across the the square, The Four Horsemen of Procrastination. The Four Horsemen of Procrastination. Now, some of you, the Four Horsemen is a reference to the Four Horsemen of Revelation, the, the Horsemen of Apocalypse. They'll bring forth the expression of judgment. And in this cartoon, there are four hooded figures riding on horses, sitting behind someone trying to type a paper on a computer. They've all gathered near, and they are the four horsemen of procrastination. And this is the artist's kind of creative attempt to ask the question, what does procrastination look like? When it comes for you, (laughs) what does it look like? And if you're wondering, the four horsemen are napping, snacks, social media, and minor chores. Maybe you can relate to one or all of those when you're trying to get something done. But the whole idea of that image, that cartoon, is to ask, what does procrastination look like? We have an idea, but what does it look like in our life? And the list of vices, these traditional vices, it's the same idea. It's around the question, what does sin look like? If you're like me, as humans, we know that sin exists in us and around us, but we're not always the best at identifying what we're doing that's broken, what we're doing that's breaking God's law. Sometimes we see it clearly, but sometimes we don't. And around this question of what does sin look like when it's practiced, the the church created a list of vices to help us give a sense of definition and shape to better see it and fight it. And some of that list is known to us, that we're pretty familiar. We know that sin looks like lust. We know it looks like pride. We know it looks like greed or envy. But some things on the list of these traditional vices aren't as familiar. We don't always think that sin looks like vainglory. That might be a word that we have not even heard or familiar with. Vainglory is sin in the sense that it's all about managing your appearance. It's all about managing how others see you and think of you. That is the goal of what you do and what you say. Jesus points to this, as we heard in the gospel reading, when he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Before, beware of doing it to be seen. When you give to the needy, do not sound the trumpet. Do not be a performer. The language of not doing good to be seen or performing speaks of vainglory. In pride, we're we're probably more familiar very directly with pride, that we want to be above others. We want to be better than our rival, a sibling, a co-worker, a neighbor. But vainglory is different. What matters is how that person sees you, not necessarily what is right or true or even depth inside of you, but our actions and our choices are determined by the desire of approval, satisfying the expectations of others. And we can pursue that by good actions, by doing what is good, or we might also pursue such image by doing things that are shocking or funny, brave or rude, whatever is necessary to be seen in a certain light. I imagine if you're like me, we know this sin, even if we don't have a name for it. But vainglory expresses itself in hiding, hiding, but also in chasing, chasing what others expect. And as one author describes vainglory, he says, it's how to get all A's and still flunk life, or maybe how to do what is expected, but to lose yourself along the way. We all know that feeling, that possibility. So why contrast meekness and vainglory? What do these two things have to do with each other? What I suggest to you is that these two ways connect around the questions of how do I view others? How do I view my neighbor? Or what is my goal or my purpose in relationships? You see, the meek way sees his or her neighbor as one to consider and to love. While in glorious way sees his or her neighbor as one to use, to gain a certain reputation, or reaction. The motivation of meekness is, as I said, not weakness or inferiority, but ultimately, weak, mo, no, meekness is about submitting, submitting to God. And the Christian said, submitting to God, not out of sense that I have nothing to offer, but rather directing your life your vision, your purpose, your resources to something beyond yourself and your agenda. Can you see that? You're, you're submitting yourself, you're acknowledging that there is someone, there is something bigger and greater than myself, and therefore I find myself in relationship to, to that thing. In Psalm 45, there is language describing the promised and a future Davidic king that would lead God's people. In the language, it's fascinating. In one part, this king, this longed-for king is described as one who will go out, will ride out for the cause of truth and meekness. The longed-for king will ride out for the cause of meekness, telling us that the full expression of godly leadership and godly authority is power not wielded for one's own satisfaction or one's own ends, but rather submitting such power and authority to God and God's ends and God's purposes. I don't know about you, but doesn't our heart ache for such leadership, such meekness? Long for an authority that does not oppress, but rather is willing to submit him or herself as the first act of leadership. Yet this blessing is not just for those with great power, not just for those with a high position. The call to meekness is for all of us. No matter your role, no matter the sphere of influence you have, as we think about whether being in our marriage or in our family or at work or in our school setting, wherever our sphere would be, to ask how we use our resources and how we use our power, do we do so with gentleness? With a resisting using or seeing others simply as part of my agenda or what I need to get done. As we think of vainglory in contrast to this meekness, I want us to think again about Jesus' language about giving and charity. Matthew 6, he invites us to imagine a man who wants to give a gift to the poor. And the man thinks through what he should do. He says, you know, I should hire a musician, a trumpeter. Maybe in our day would be different than a trumpeter, something that could catch attention. You know, if I'm going to give to the poor, you know, I want to make sure they know it, get their attention. And if I do this, it makes sense that others would know about it so they might be encouraged to give. And so I should do it in a busy place like the street. And Jesus says in that picture, this action involves an exchange of money, but it's not a gift. Jesus is inviting us to think about how vainglory works. He's saying rather, there's an exchange of money. It's not a gift. It's a purchase. This man is not simply helping others. He's using them to purchase a certain reputation, purchase attention. You see, vainglory at its heart replaces the desire for good with the desire for applause. And we can think about how that affects what we do. Even me, as I stand up here giving this sermon, right? I could reduce the sermon, a good thing, I hope, I could reduce it down to, what will you think of me? Will you think that I'm smart, insightful? We can think about our own service or prayer or doing good things for Christ. We can reduce such things down to, will others think that I'm a good Christian? We could reduce down something like hospitality, this wonder of opening your home and inviting people in to share food together. We could reduce it down to, will my guests be impressed? Will they think that I am doing well? And how much of our activities are a form of purchase? Jesus tells us to be careful, saying when we do such an act, when we try to purchase a reputation or approval, when it becomes our goal, Jesus says we eventually forget God, forget our neighbor, and eventually even lose ourselves. So Matthew 5 invites us to consider meekness and vainglory. The blessing that Jesus invites us on the way is meekness. And I want us to turn that to Philippians 2, the second part of our sermon, to look at this passage, to, to see these things in action. The contrast between vainglory and meekness is set at the very heart of the Christian community, living out their faith together. These contrasting ways set in motion. In Philippians, it starts off by... Paul writing, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is, what's Paul saying? This is often what he does. He often piles things together, and it's always easy to kind of discern what he's saying. And what he's saying is if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, And if you've known the encouragement of Christ, if you've known the comfort of God's love, if you've participated in the Spirit, if you've experienced affection and sympathy with one another as God's people, then what you should do, then what we should be, is like-minded. Having the same love, being one together. If If we are those who know and trust the gospel of grace in Christ, then be together in love, Paul is saying. And after setting forth this hope for the church, being together in love, he gives him practical instructions about how to go about that. He says, don't do certain things, do not. If this is our goal, being together in love, do not act from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather do in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And in these very practical instructions, we actually see vainglory and meekness together. Set in contrast. Selfish ambition and vain conceit speak of the vice of vainglory. Selfish ambition refers to the chasing after what I am supposed to take hold of, chasing after what others desire or expect of me, that they'll see me the way I want to be seen. Conceit here is the translation of the Greek word for vain or empty glory. It is the action of hiding, of settling for mere pretense in your life, of wearing a mask. Paul's saying these are the enemies of being together in love. They are the enemies because at the heart of vain glory, this chasing or hiding, it's turning others, even fellow Christians, into those we use or manipulate a certain reputation or appearance or reaction. But He says meekness is different. Meekness is expressed in humbly counting others more significant than yourself. Meekness is looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others, seeing them. And so why are we to walk in meekness? Why is this the way that Paul sets before us as his church, the Church of God. Well, in an answer to that, Paul tells the story of Christ. Paul tells us the gospel. It's important for us to remember that uh, this was part of the class this morning before that the gospel is not about your activity or mine. The gospel is God's activity in the world, accomplishing his work. And Paul says, remember Jesus. Instead of empty glory, Christ emptied himself. Instead of selfish ambition, Christ took the form of a servant. Hear the good news. Here is what happened. Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Emptied himself here speaks, it's important that we get this right. It speaks not of stopping being God, Jesus didn't stop being divine. But rather, in emptying himself, he revealed the true expression of who God is. Do you see how Jesus uses his power? He didn't consider his position and status and power something to exploit, but he acted for the purpose of redeeming his people. And the Gospels, Jesus explains this, this way of meekness. When he tells his disciples, you know that those who are considered rulers among the Gentiles Lorded over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be the great, among, greatest among you, must be your servant, and whoever be first among you, must be servant of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus is setting forth an expression, the revelation of who God is. And saying that his power and authority is not about lording over others, but seeing and serving sinners. We notice that in this humble path that Jesus walked, it says that he was obedient. And reminds us, as I mentioned earlier, that meekness is about submitting to someone greater than yourself. Setting your agenda underneath the agenda and ways of God. See, Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And this is part of the gospel, that he was rejected by the world, given a poor reputation, declared a fool. Yet he entrusted himself to the Father. And while the world deemed Jesus a fool, one to be killed and removed, God announced his verdict. He highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that his name, every knee bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. See, Jesus did not chase down empty glory, but received true glory. And the divine vindication of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, is not just good news for him, but it's good news for you and for me, for when we are with him in faith, when we have trusted the gospel, then his vindication, his resurrection, his glory is given to us to share in with him. This is the promise of blessing, to the meek. Instead of grasping empty glory, we receive the true glory of Christ. It runs through the scriptures. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. Christ will guide the meek in justice. The Lord will lift up all the meek and he will adorn the meek with salvation. The meek shall increase their joy. The meek shall inherit the earth. Jesus, the risen one, has established a kingdom in meekness. And the meek are promised a place in it. I recently read about uh, an art installation, of a collection of portraits titled Many Are Called by a, an artist named Walker Evan. He took photos on the New York subway in the 1930s, key thing here, with a hidden camera. Now, that might seem very scandalous and shocking to us, seems maybe inappropriate. But he sat on the subways taking pictures of men and women unaware as they were making their commute. And one author writing about this, Evans, he says Evans' portraits are haunting. Haunting because they manifest this public-private paradox on the subway. On one hand, these commuters are in the most public of places, a crowded subway car. But on the other hand, the chance-gathering of strangers, the shortness of the ride, the weariness of the day all seem to allow the writers to drop their guard. And we, as viewers of these photos, get a glimpse of their individual stories that lie beneath the surface. You can picture these different portraits of people sitting on their way to work or on their way home. Hidden cameras might feel wrong or scandalous to us, and I, I think that's part of the idea of the artist, actually to kind of break through or see or to capture one when one's guard is not up. But the thought might be haunting. The reason I mention this, if you're like me, this idea of being seen past our guard can both fill me with longing, longing to be seen, but fear. Fear of being seen. And in this fear, all of us are tempted towards vainglory to manage how others would perceive us. But in our fears, let us here remember the story of Christ, the gospel, that he fully sees you and me. And he not only fully sees you, but draws near in gentleness to serve and to bear your sorrow and your sin. And Paul directs us, he directs the Philippians to have this mind. That when we think about who God is, to build it around Christ's humiliation and exaltation. When we think about what is life, what is true life, to build it around Christ's humiliation and exaltation, the gospel tells us who God is and tells us the path of life. And what I want us to hear this morning is the only way out of vain glory, the only way out of managing and hiding and chasing is encountering the grace of Christ for you to actually hear and believe and trust God, that the one who sees you completely loves you fully and bears your sin for you. I remember hearing the gospel when I was in high school and thinking that is too good to be true, that one who sees me fully loves me to the end. Instead of turning away, will bear my sorrows and my sin. This is the path out of hypocrisy, The path out of whitewashed tombs, Jesus says, to run to the cross to the one who has died for sinners. See, the gospel is not just for beginners. It's not just one time when we place our faith in Christ, but the gospel is each day for us to decide, do we live as one who manages and uses others to build a certain reputation? Are we those who in meekness rest in Christ's work for us? in our sin and in our sorrows, rest in him. Remember the glory of Christ is the promise. There's nothing anyone can say or do to change your place in Christ. There's nothing anyone can say or do to change your approval in Christ. For it rests not on what you have done or what you will do, but it rests on God's mercy for you. And it's out of that experience, out of that meekness of Christ, that we might begin to seek not only our own good, to seek the good of our neighbors, to not only see ourselves or worry about ourselves, but to see others around us. I pray that we would know the meekness of Christ that may build meekness in us as his people. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that sees us and moves towards us in Christ. I pray, Lord, today by your word that you lift our heads, that we would turn away from the false hope of managing our reputations, to find life and rest and hope in you, Lord, your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.